Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Childhood Rising podcast. This space and this business have been intentionally designed to bring together an empowered collective of parents, educators, carers, and other folk who are all journeying alongside children. Through this podcast and our support services, we aim to raise the well-being of the whole child, as well as the adults who walk alongside them. We talk about trauma-informed caregiving, play, and the importance of attachment, while also not being afraid to cover the difficult but deeply reflective conversational topics too. If you too believe in the inherent wholeness, competence, and contribution children have to offer this world, then you're in the right place. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast here at Childhood Rising. We're in that time of year where everyone is starting to get ready to return back to school or perhaps you have a little one who is starting school for the first time and in this episode I'm going to be talking about exactly that. Now there are some of you listening who may be homeschooling at the moment and maybe some of this less applies to you. But I'm going to be talking about transitioning to school, starting to school, school readiness or whatever the title is that you want to give it. It is something that's on the minds for a lot of us right now. So I recently read this checklist and it was called a school readiness checklist. And what they had done is they had sort of like listed out all of these um, things that a, they thought a child should be able to do or, you know, in their opinion, needed to be able to do before that they before they could start school. Um, and on that list, there were things like they needed to have some basic you know, self-care skills, like being able to put their shoes and socks on to be able to toilet independently. Um, there were other things like uh, being able to sit with a group on the mat to remain focused, to be be able to ask questions and answer questions from the teacher. There are also things like being able to separate easily from their parent or carer at drop-off or to, this is literally what it said, to self-regulate their emotional response when they need to do something they don't want to. So for example, the example they gave in the checklist was they don't have a tantrum when it's time to pack up. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure that you're hearing some of this and thinking that that just does not align or does not feel realistic. I don't know, you know, lots of you are listening from different places around the world, but here in Western Australia, um, kids typically start in kindy and they could be four, but they could also be like three and a half. That's not our first year of compulsory schooling. Um, first year of compulsory schooling here is pre-primary. So that's typically the year that the child turns five. I know there are other places around the world where it's not compulsory schooling until they turn age six, but typically most children here in Western Australia are starting school in kindy at the age of four or perhaps, you know, three and a half, depending on when their birthday is and their cutoff for the dates of that school year. So whether you have a child starting at that same age where you live or not, I think we can all reflect on what our three and a half year old, four year old is like, regardless of whether we've got any training in child development specifically, and all, I hope, agree that it is not developmentally appropriate to expect a child to sit for long periods of time on the mat, to remain focused, to um, have that sort of attention span 
nor is it developmentally appropriate to expect them to separate easily from their parent or carer, nor is it developmentally appropriate for them to be able to completely self-regulate their emotional response when they need to do something that they don't want to. So this article, well, this checklist did get me a little bit fired up. So this podcast might be a little bit ranty. Uh, I apologize in advance if that's the case. But I wanted to speak to this because I feel that documents and articles and, you know, things like this can put so much pressure on parents for things that are completely unrealistic, that we're almost setting ourselves up to fail, right? If we feel like if some if a parent reads that and thinks that their child needs to have all of these things in place before they can start school, then they're going to feel like they're failing their child in some way because it's not about their parenting. It's about where that child's at in their development and that those expectations aren't appropriate for that child at the age that they are likely starting school. I also want to say here too is that some of those behaviors that would be considered um, by this checklist standard anyway – some of the behaviors they're saying that would not would would indicate that that child's not ready for school, so not able to self-regulate, not able to um, separate from their parent, you know, not able to not have a tantrum when they're told, you know, they have to do something. Those sorts of behaviors are also the same behaviors that you would see amplified and increased in children who are experiencing some sort of anxiety about starting or even returning to school. So not only are a lot of those behaviors developmentally uh, appropriate, normal for that age range, they can also be even more present in those children who are about to start school. And it doesn't mean that something is wrong with your child. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the way that you are parenting your child either. So instead of us viewing these difficult behaviors or challenging behaviors at times as some sort of skill deficit or that they're wrong in some way, I'm going to challenge us to view these behaviors purely as communication because our children aren't going to come to us and say, hey, mom, I'm feeling really conflicted about this upcoming school transition. I have fears about not being ready and I really need you to listen to my feelings. Like that's just not going to happen when we've got like a three, four, five-year-old about to start school, right? It's not realistic. So let's view those behaviors as communication. And instead of trying to change the child, let's try and listen to those behaviors and those feelings and what's coming up from them. And I'm going to talk about some of the ways that we can be using play specifically as a way to support children uh, with what they're communicating with us through these behaviors in preparation for this transition to starting or returning to school. You know, over the years, I've seen various different school readiness campaigns, all from well-intentioned parents, teachers, other professionals, of course. But I want to share my view on this. And my view is that if we really deeply support the social and emotional well-being of that child, we're going to be setting them up for the best start for their um, transition to school. It is not your job as their parent to start teaching your child to read or write simply so that they are more ready for school. I know that this is included in some of the school readiness uh, programs and courses and things that I've seen over the years. Of course, there is an element of, you know, inherent learning to read and write and recognize letters and all of that in our everyday lives alongside children. But what I'm specifically talking about is this perceived pressure to create some sort of structured or uh, adult directed activity that are intended to teach children 
almost that um, because we're insinuating there, I guess, that by teaching them these things before they start school, it's going to give them some sort of head start or it's going to make the adjustment to school easier for them in some way. By prioritizing, but by prioritizing these sorts of activities, I think we're not only placing unnecessary pressure on ourselves as parents, but we're also sacrificing time to invest in that relationship, right? That social and emotional well-being of that child is the integral part of their adjustment to school, in my opinion, and not how many letters or numbers they recognize or how high they can count. I actually think it's the job of the school, which is an environment filled with professionals trained in child development, hopefully, that should be meeting the child where they are at. The child should not have to change or even be expected to change in order to meet the expectations of the school. And if that is the case, I think that that says a lot about many of the systemic issues that are underpinning not only our education systems, but also our perspectives of children more broadly. With all that being said, I'm going to share a couple of ways that you can be using play to support your child if they are transitioning and starting school for the first time, or perhaps they're returning to school and they've got some um, anxiety, or you think there might be some anxiety or fear around that return. Um, These suggestions that I'm sharing with you are all aspects of attachment play, which is an aspect of aware parenting founded by Aletha Salter. There is a huge evidence base for all of this work. And I have a podcast episode specifically on what is attachment play, if you're interested in learning a bit more about that. But the first type of play that I would suggest for the instance of preparing children for the return or to start school is the use of symbolic play. So symbolic play is essentially play with different uh, props or items or themes that are specific to helping that child deal with whatever it is that they're facing. So we can use this um, after the fact. So we can use symbolic play with children after they've experienced some sort of stressful event or trauma. Um, But what I'm talking about here today is sort of using symbolic play preemptively, right? So we're going to be Uh, engaging in this play in a way that's preparing our child for an upcoming event as opposed to healing from an event that's already happened. So some examples of how you might do this is you as the adult or carer, I mean, teachers could be doing this in their classrooms too, which would be a beautiful way to support children, um, is that you are taking a bit more of a directive role in the play and you're going to be offering or suggesting a specific Um, play storyline or use of specific toys right so an example might be that you set up a school scene in your home and you invite your child to join you in playing schools or maybe you are a bit more specific you know than that and you use figurines think about the way that your child likes to play are they quite active in their play and they like to embody who they are pretending to be in themselves or do they prefer to use like teddies and little figurines things like that Um, think about what works for your child when you're considering how you might adapt this uh, within your own family So yeah, you could be using figurines and setting up a school scene and saying, you know, this is Billy and he's starting school today. This is his teacher. This is the classroom. Mom's going to drop him off at school. You know, you're setting up the scene as to what is happening. You're sort of role playing that out in an externalized way. And then you kind of hand the reins over to that child and you allow them to then lead the play uh, within the specific props and theme that you've already established for that play. 
By exploring the idea of starting or returning to school in this way, it's creating this sense of safety because it is through play, right? And it um, doesn't feel as vulnerable for that child and gives them a space to explore what is going on for them. And I, I always encourage parents not to read too deeply into the play that they're seeing their child engage in because we can fall down this rabbit hole of thinking, what does this mean? They did this, they did that. But just try to trust the child and their process and just know that that child will inherently play out what it is that they need to. And you can just be there as the empathetic witness. You're accepting the play. You know, if there's sort of angry or aggressive themes being played out, try to accept that as much as you can. Of, of course, if there's, um, you know, aggressive behaviors directed towards you in the play, you need to ensure that everyone is safe and feels safe too. But for the most part, we're wanting to accept all of the play that that child is showing us. And I'd actually encourage you to engage in this sort of symbolic play as much as you can in the weeks and days leading up to the start or return to school. Um, at a minimum, I would suggest like 20 minutes, and this is one-to-one play with you and that child. Um, that often is realistic for parents, but think about how you can make it work for you so that you can be consistent within you know, the routine and commitments that you already have. Um, the more that you do this, the more benefits that your child is going to reap from this time with you. It's beautiful and connecting, but it's also symbolic of something they're about to encounter and deeply healing for them as well. It can be inherently stressful for lots of children. There are some children who love it and don't have any issues and that's great, but for lots of children, it can be quite a stressful experience. You know, they're um, expected to sit and focus for long periods of time. They are told what to do and when to do it. In most instances, there might be some pressure around testing and they could develop test anxiety. You know, children who are more highly sensitive might be overwhelmed or overstimulated by the classroom environment, which often has lots of things on the walls, you know, lots of noisy children, school bells, all of that. So there are lots of, for even even with, if there's not specific stressful or traumatic events like bullying or a really mean teacher or abuse or anything like this necessarily happening at school, the experience of being at school can still be stressful for children. The type of play that you could be using with your child is nonsense play. And this nonsense play is specifically helpful for helping children overcome any anxiety that they might have about um, rules and expectations that um, the school might have, right? So in this sort of situation, you can use nonsense play where you're sort of exaggerating events. And in this case, you might be exaggerating rules and using some sort of silliness or playfulness to um, really elicit laughter. And we know that that laughter is deeply therapeutic for releasing um, emotions and returning the nervous system back to its baseline. And so in this nonsense play, I really encourage you to follow the laughter. So you might make up silly rules at home in a way that sort of encourages your child to break these rules because they're silly, right? And then you both laugh together. So you might say like, no walking on the roof. And then your child pretends to walk on the roof. And then you might fake being angry and upset about that. And that prompts more laughter, right? We can be creative about how we're doing these things, but I'm just trying to give you a bit of an overview about Um, the foundations of these types of play and what they could look like for you in your home. You are feeling that your child might have some anxiety or some big feelings coming up for them around starting or returning to school this year, then I would love to support you further and explore how play and aware parenting could support you and your child and your family through that process more deeply. 
Um, I have times available again now in the new year for the one-to-one consultations. I will leave a link in the show notes of this episode so that you can explore the options there um, and figure out if they're right for you. There's also the option to jump on a free 15-minute call with me and we can just talk briefly about what's happening for you, whether uh, the one-to-one consultation option is the right choice for you. And if not, I always try and point you in the right direction and give you as much help as I can in that short call. But thank you so much for listening. I hope that this episode has resonated for you and I will talk to you soon.